0: I'm Joe from Cast, where science fiction meets pop culture. Part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find more stunningly awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com.
1: You are listening to The Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV or DC Comics. All characters, situations and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle and this is your Tribune.
0: Welcome back to Earth 2's. Favorite newspaper in the DC multiverse called the Starling Tribune. I am the chief editor tonight. My name is SP, and your other award winning reporters for this episode number 241 of the Starling Tribune are Chris.
2: What happened to us being public enemy number one?
0: Well, you kind of still are, but they like you this week. But who knows what it's going to be in the season premiere next year? I'm so confused, Chris. Me too. And Michelle. I thought I
3: had more time.
0: You have no idea how fast seven years goes by when you're podcasting about a show. You get to the end of the seventh year and you're like, "Aww." so we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Hey, everyone, this podcast is recorded on Tuesday, May 14th, 2019, live on www.geeks.live.
2: That's right. And this evening, we'll be discussing the season seven finale of Arrow as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the last week that could and probably will impact the greater DC multiverse. So this includes shows like Arrow, but also The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and everything
3: else. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at gunnageet.com, where you can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles.
0: Thanks, guys! Wow, what a great season seven finale. Michelle, why don't you just go ahead and break down the creative team on the episode for us?
3: Sure thing. This season finale is called You Have Saved This City, season seven, episode 22. It aired Monday, May 13th, 2019, directed by one of our favorites, James Banford. Bam, bam! Who's directed one Supergirl and 14 episodes of Arrow. That's impressive.
0: And they've all been action-packed, pretty much.
3: Written by the showrunner herself, Beth Schwartz. Writing credits include two episodes of Legend and 29 episodes of Arrow. And Rebecca Bellotto. Writing credits include nine episodes of Arrow and a staff writer on Arrow for 20 episodes.
0: What a great creative team. I think they pulled this one off. Beth has worked this season in and out the entire way. We'll talk about that later. And I think she pulled off something that we haven't seen in Arrow in a very long time. And that is a decent, a good, a respectable, an entertaining season finale. So we only have three episodes this week to talk to you because, well, we're recording before... The Flash records, and yeah, it's just the three episodes that we have so far, so let's go through them real quick. Supergirl aired the 24th episode of the fourth season, Red Dawn, to a live rating of 1.11 on Sunday the 12th of May 2019. Yesterday, which was Monday the 13th of May, Legends of Tomorrow aired the 15th episode of their fourth season, Terms of Service, to a live rating of 0.99, which is really close to that one, Woohoo! and Arrow had the Season 7 finale, Episode 22 of Season 7. You have saved the city to a live rating, and this is a big bump from the last couple of weeks, 0.95. So they were close to that one, too, which means a lot of people were interested in this that might have otherwise watched it delayed, which is all great that they're getting that big bump. And we'll talk about all the things that happen during the episode. In the meantime, this show, from the beginning, has said, you have failed this city. And that Oliver Queen, as Stephen Amell playing Oliver Queen, has wanted to save this city. Well, finally, in the season finale, he got the title, You Have Saved This City. Michelle, is that the theme of the episode?
3: So he didn't save it from rock and roll, did he? No. (laughs) He saved it from the ninth circle. And it just wasn't him. It was the team. And we also had, in the future, they saved Star City as well from Galaxy One taking it over, which I know we'll talk about in a moment. So, yeah, there was a bunch of saving of cities all around.
0: Chris,
2: did the Green Arrow save your city? Well, I do actually have a Star City that is literally right next door to me, so potentially. Nice.
0: I didn't see the green arrow around my place, but I did see a lot of great action this episode. Bam Bam puts together, he started out as a great fight choreographer and ended up being a director and has been a phenomenal director on the series for years now. And it's always great seeing him. He likes our posts when we take him and that sort of thing. It's always great seeing an episode that he did. And what cued me in that this was going to be an effects and fight choreography intensive episode is our heroes. Our team is cornered on the rooftop by the city police who have not been cued in that. It's not their fault. They, They all assume that they have done all sorts of wrongs and they haven't, but they're being arrested by a chopper and a team of people. And instead of being arrested, Oliver does his, you know, quick. And, and I was thinking about this, Chris, you're going to have to back me up on this, but Oliver does this quick thing where he grabs an arrow, a flash boom arrow, and he pulls back and, you know, he shoots it off as quick as he always does. If I'm a police guy and I'm covering Oliver Queen with my weapon, I'm not going to, as soon as he moves, I'm going to discharge the weapon.
2: hundred percent agree. You would be firing immediately. One, would think. Now, here's how you can try and potentially find your workaround, which is this guy's our teammate. He's a member of the SCPD, so I hesitate and don't pull the trigger because I don't want to shoot someone that's a fellow officer.
0: Yeah, there you go. Okay, I I can go with that. But what I was trying to get to is then they escape and they do the superhero fly off the top of the building. That was just amazing combination of CGI and actual effects. That was awesome.
2: How does everyone have a gadget that does that is what I tried to figure out. And I meant to go back and rewatch it before this because I know the arrows can repel, but what did Renee have to repel and what did Dinah have to repel with?
0: Well, Renee was using his weapons, right? so he was shooting downward, so he's got a grapple gun. No, 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 the concussion of the the backwards force
2: of the guns. of course, the physics makes perfect sense. you're right, I should have thought of that.
3: actually, guys, I thought Renee channeled his Haas power and that allowed him to land safely on the ground.
2: It's raw Hoss power. Okay, and so that's those
0: two. And then, of course, we got Dinah. And I think she just, she does her best uh, Leia Skywalker. And <laughs> there you go. You know, floats out
2: there in space. I, I think we can grant her that one. Look, it was a cool moment. So it's not like I'm going to hold against you. And like, I don't understand how this happened. It's just one of those things after I saw it, I went, I wonder how they did it. Because I'm sure they solved it to some extent.
3: I just kind of thought Roy and Oliver helped them down or something.
2: That could be. Like I said, I didn't have a chance to rewatch it, so I I don't remember.
0: Well, they definitely had the, you know, wherewithal and and gear and training, because they've been working as a team for a while to do that. So, yeah, I could see that. Diggle, how would he get down? Oh, 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 the Magneto helmet. I'm sorry.
2: I forgot all about that.
3: That helmet is special.
2: Dignito, that's what we used to call him, if I remember right. Yeah, that's right, the the Dignito,
0: and of course we know he could be a Green Lantern, but we don't know that yet.
3: I am so tired of being teased that, I really want that to happen next season, but we'll talk about how that could happen a little bit later.
2: Me too. Yep.
3: Guys, I was surprised, like the first half. The 40 minutes of this episode is like one huge action movie.
2: It is. They had a lot of stuff they needed to cram into one episode. And I honestly think they probably needed two episodes to do everything they wanted to do here. So it moves fast. But the fights, of course, are awesome because James Banford's directing them. I
0: didn't really. You know, I watched it twice. Actually, I think I watched it three times when it all said and done. as I was walking around doing stuff and I was like, what am I missing with the plot? And I think there was a lot missing with the plot with the episode. Cause you're right. It just went from one action scene to another action scene. It was just moving a little bit differently than a normal arrow episode, which, Hey, this is a season finale possibly could have been a series finale. And I kind of excuse that because we got the great wrap up at the end. Wrap up at the end was a lot longer than a normal episode. And I will grant them all sorts of reasons why that was okay. But it just made the rest of the plot a little bit more rushed. Because not only were you having the great action in the real time. You were having the great action in the future in 2040. And we haven't had that for a while. And the balance was just a little off in my mind. Because it was too huge plots wrapping up at the same time and actually a third when you're talking about Elicity and the monitor and it was, it was just a lot. And I will hand it to Beth and the arrow writers room. They did a pretty good job of pulling that together. But like I said, it was just moving at a slightly different pace. So it threw me off. But like I said, I watched it three times. So there you go, guys. I watched it three times in one day.
3: After the present team gets away. Move to the future and they're getting arrested and we learned that felicity's restraints is also something like she invented and she's like oh great another one of my inventions twisted and boy mia is just we're not getting arrested that's the wrong answer and just stabs one in the eye swings the other one around and makes the gun shoot another one you could tell that she is like her dad and that she was trained by nissa
0: I missed Nissa in the episode, to be honest with you. I thought we'd have her back, but this isn't the series finale. So I could see how she isn't going to be around. And we know we got the training montage with her. We know how Mia did. And we've seen Mia fight in the ring and she was framed just perfectly. in all the shots, even though they might've had CGI backgrounds or whatever, she, was definitely a focus of the action in the future in this episode. And it was good seeing her. We see her being the archer really for the first time because Roy gives her her father's arrow set, the bow and the arrows and stuff like that. So, yeah, she is an archer and she is Oliver Queen's daughter and Nyssa Train, League of Assassins Train. So, yeah, it was great seeing all of that. In the future, you know, we see Elena and Elena is really pummeling some of these Zetas too. And that just got me to think we did not see her betrayal in the past. We have not seen that yet. So I don't know if they're saving that for next season or if just the mention of it happening was enough and her showing up in the future was enough. But I sort of thought we'd see that in the the real time.
2: I think it takes place too much further than where we are in real time. The implication was this was a few years down the line when she was having to run things because Felicity was out of the public eye. So I don't think we'll ever actually see it happen. It's just they tell us that it's going to happen.
3: Well, she actually mentions how it happens. First off, she copied the core code and then Felicity puts her in charge. And then she mentions that Dale, at first it was a software license. And then it was a hostile takeover and that he threatened her family. And that's why she went into hiding. And that's how he got Archer. So it wasn't so much of a portrayal as it was, oh, I thought this was a good business deal. And then, oh, hey, this guy's threatening my family. Oh, well.
0: I was expecting to see something on the screen in real time to wrap it up. But you're right. It was explained to us. But you'd have to take that explanation and internalize it. And I internalize things a little bit better when I actually see it on the screen.
3: But hey, one of those Zetas ended up being Connor in disguise,
2: which was a very
0: cool moment. It was. I liked it when he was handing Mia the knife behind her back. And yeah, you knew you didn't know exactly who it was. I thought it actually might have been Diggle. You know, we would have seen Diggle pop up out of nowhere. That would have been kind of cool. Right. But Connor was good enough.
2: I think him subtly handing her the knife was the, hey, when you attempt to break out, I'm the guy you don't stab because I'm on your side. Don't stab (laughs) me in the head. Don't stab me. I'm the good
0: guy. I'm handing you the knife.
3: And it's sticking with the future. They have to, of course, take down Galaxy One, but they first have to rescue William and Renee. And I just loved it how it was just the elevator and Zoe is there and she's just like, duck.
0: Hmm. duck duck gray duck yeah duck and they do they get out of the way and and wow that zeta obviously it's some wire work going on right so you got a wire on the back of the guy who's wearing the zeta suit and the explosion happens whether it's cgi or a little real effect and the the guy's hurled back the entire length of the hallway it was just awesome to see sure was it was badass
3: the future storyline really is about taking down galaxy one and we learned that felicity scrubbed mia from the dna as a back door and then william comes up with the idea of using mia to upload a virus and then techity 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 stuff upload whatever but we got this great fight sequence at the checkpoint with mia using her bow and arrow to do like the rope up getting on top of the wall and really just kicking some butt
0: you get a really good sense of how close they are to the wall in the checkpoint to begin with when after it's all done and she's repelling back off of the wall while it, it is exploding and literally it's right next door so I needed to ask you guys this. So the wall's coming down. She's repelled off of it. She lands right next to the wall. The wall is coming down. If a high wall that's as tall as like Queen Consolidated is coming down, you might not want to be standing right next to
2: it. That's cool, man, because plot.
3: Hey, William gave her an extra 60 seconds to get out of there because she thought she was, you know, this was it. And she pushes the button in that moment of, I have to do this because we're heroes. I've been trained to do this all my life. I can do this. And William's like, I just got used to having a sister. You got 60 seconds. Do it.
0: That's notable because she thought she was sacrificing herself. She really did. It wasn't that she didn't know, but she thought she this was, she pushes the button and she was dead. And that means that she has the gumption to be the hero that a daughter of Oliver Queen should. So now we've set her up as the hero and the team really as the the hero team as they go forward. My question on the team in the future is who's going to lead the team? Because Oliver was always the leader of the team. He wasn't always right. People fought him, whatever. But he was always the leader of the team. Who's going to lead this new team?
3: Zoe, Dinah puts her in charge of the Canaries.
2: That was the implication, is that she was going to be the leader. She's the most experienced.
0: So it's not going to be Mia. It's going to be Zo Okay.
2: Mia's the rookie, really. How long has she been in the superhero gig? She's been cage fighting and stuff, and she's been trained, but she's never really, until now, been out there doing the hero gig.
0: She is 20 or 21 years old, depending on when exactly her birthday is and when they're showing us in 2040.
2: Mm-hmm. And Zoe's what, late 20s then? Well, probably early 30s. Yeah. Because she's a teenager in current day, so... Boy, she doesn't look like she's my age, then. She's probably supposed to be early 30s, mid-30s. that That's me. I, she looks a lot younger than I do.
3: Yeah, she's supposed to be the, around the same age as William. William might be a couple years older than Zoe.
0: No, they were the same age, weren't they?
3: Around, roughly, yeah.
0: I had the thought that they were in the same grade class because they became such close friends, but I guess if you're the... Son or daughter of somebody that's on Team Arrow, you kind of get to know each other regardless of what grade you're in. Okay, I just assumed they were in the same grade. I guess I was wrong with that assumption. <laughs> Go figure.
2: I don't think they've said one way or another. Are they just the implication was they're close to the same age, whatever that means.
3: Yeah, I think you know Zoe becomes in charge, funded by William. Mia has to get used to working with the team, being the hero, so she does need that support system. And Connor is there.
0: It's a good team. So you think William's going to start the William Foundation where kind of like how Stark did over in the Marvel Universe, where something big fight happened. They take down part of the city or whatever, and then his foundation comes in to help, you know, restore everything.
2: I don't know how much he's actually worth. Now, the the implication is he's worth a decent amount because he owns his business. But I'm not sure it's really comparable to Tony Stark money where he can afford to give millions, potentially billions to charity.
0: So do you think they could afford to
2: rehab
0: the bunker, as Oliver keeps calling it? We'll keep calling it or I'll keep calling it the Arrow Cave. And and to afford to rebuild the mansion where the grave sites are and to afford to pay the rent on Thea's old condo?
3: I think his company is at least worth a billion dollars.
0: Well, it's 2040, so what's a billion dollars? 500 now? I don't know.
2: Inflation. It's crazy. But also remember, just because his company's worth that doesn't necessarily mean he's that liquid.
3: I think he's rich. I think the implication is his company is amazing. I mean, he was able to get an appointment with that Galaxy One guy the first time around really easily. Dale. Yeah. Yeah. And to be noticed that quickly, he must be a very successful business person. He's rich. Let's just face it. Just like how did Oliver and Felicity afford anything these past two seasons? Somehow they're still rich. Thea is rich because of Malcolm's money. They're just rich. I think
0: Oliver was able to afford everything because nobody canceled his League of Assassins credit
3: card. <laughs> very true. Very true. Well, of course, in the present, we have to deal with the ninth circle and the bacteria that eats everything. And it's in drones and conveniently at the shopping center, Oliver has ice arrows and he's able to freeze the little drones.
0: And yeah, not just one like you would expect him to like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to take out my pack to this time around. I'll take one. ice. no, he's got three or four. I forget how many drones there were. And he's able to take them all down. Also, I've never seen his quiver other than each arrow has its specific tip on it. Not the I can change tips out like Hawkeye was over in the Avengers. So he would have had to have had three separate ice arrows in his quiver. Of course, we all know that this is possible because he's got his own team of CGI artists that are wiping in the correct arrows in his quiver whenever he needs it. So you know, that's his true superpower as the CGI artist that he has with him all the time.
2: You know, you're not wrong.
3: I know it is kind of like a quiver of holding. If if you play D D, there's a bag of holding where you could put like two hundred, five hundred pounds worth of stuff and it's only like fifteen pounds. It's it's like he can just reach back in there and there's like that ten thousand arrows or something and he just keeps pulling them out and pulling them out. He doesn't need to worry. That's what it is. It's it's a magical quiver. I'll buy that. Hey, it was still great because we had that crowd and there was a guy ready to get angry at our vigilantes because they were being blamed for killing the cops and stuff. And he just gets decked by bronze tiger. <laughs> that was so
0: funny. So he comes in. I had honestly forgotten about him. You know, we had talked about oh, he is going to come back in the series at some point in time. So in the back of my head, I knew this, but I didn't think i didn't visualize that he'd be coming back this episode so bad on me so he just shows up he does that just to quite you know kick the big guy knock the big guy out and then everybody else will kowtow to you and that's basically what he did and what was sweet was after he did that he's just like don't ask what do i need to do Like, don't ask me how I'm here, how I'm out or anything. We'll deal with that later. Just what do I need to do? Because he knows that something big's going on. I mean, if Team Arrow is standing in front of you and they're trying to do something, you know that they probably don't have a lot of time. So I I will give Bronze Tiger all kudos for this. This was a great episode for him.
2: It was a cool moment for him, but you also kind of have to give the mob a little bit of credit that there there actually is a murderer there. I mean, Roy did kill two guys two episodes ago, which we tend to forget about now. <sighs> it was all
0: Emiko's fault.
2: Well, I mean, they were there because of her, but Roy went crazy and killed two guys. And that's something in this episode we kind of gloss over is the fact that Roy went crazy because of uh, the Lazarus pit and he killed two people legitimately. They hid the truth. But everything is fine now. I mean, they broke the law to protect Roy. The police know they did that because they've got the video. So the citizens aren't too far off of being like, hey, you guys are murderers. Or in this case, you covered up for murders, which I hope comes into play as we get to next season. But it's one of the things that had me scratching my head. I'm like, yeah, it's great. We get these great hero moments talking about how they saved the city. But you sold your morals down the river and basically had it undone in the span of one episode and now everyone's kind of forgotten about that fact. I was
0: thinking about that actually, Chris, as the episode progressed. And if this was a series finale, I would have thought that would have been a giant plot hole that would have rubbed me the wrong way. The only reason that it doesn't rub me the wrong way. And I agree with you, by the way, the, the, the crowd, the mob has every right to be angry at Roy for that. But the only reason that I'm, I'm going to give them a pass on the plot here is in the future, Roy says, it's a long story. I don't think they would have had him say that in the episode if they weren't going to go into it, maybe in a flashback. Or I don't know how they're going to handle next season in the few episodes that they have next season.
2: I mean, I hope that they do. But as it is right now, they kind of just forgot real quick that basically all of Team Arrow should be arrested for obstruction.
3: That is very true. I mean, at the end, Roy is like, I know I have to atone, but it's true. They really did. This is a case of, yeah, they really did break the law.
2: Yeah, they, they should lose their badges and they should be arrested probably. And, and Stevens in a I'm saying, doesn't Roy take off at the end? The implication is, yes, he takes off because he has a lot to atone for and somehow ends up in the island between now and the future. But th- th- this is one of those points that as I'm watching, I'm like, Yes, I know your plan is probably to deal with it in season eight, but it's kind of a glaring oversight, and they're very busy patting themselves on the back at the end of this for, oh, look how great we did. We saved this city. Everything turned out for the better. But did it? Your moral authority or your moral high ground is gone. And they were talking about no casualties. There might not have been any casualties with
0: Palmer Tech building coming down, a.k.a. Queen Consolidated Headquarters, but there were the people that were sprayed by the drones that were obviously dead because, you know, their face was melted off. At least we saw partial face melted off with one of the people. And there were at least four people on the ground, if not that. And we saw several people being sprayed by the drones. So there were casualties, civilian casualties, in this episode.
2: Yeah, and I'm not trying to be negative. I just have some issues with this episode. And that was one of those issues, is the fact that we have conveniently forgotten just what they did to try and save Roy. Now, granted, Roy wasn't in his right mind. You could argue if it went to court that he'd be able to get off because you could talk about the effects of the Lazarus Pit and how people aren't in their right mind, and it'd be probably not guilty by reason of temporary insanity or something. But they took that decision out of people's hands by covering up the truth.
3: And they actually called Dinah Captain.
2: Yeah, none of these people lost their badges, it doesn't seem like. It seems like the one sergeant who was beat up kind of basically said, no, no. Uh, It was Emiko that came and destroyed the police station or this other Green Arrow, not these guys. So you're good to go.
3: And one of the things they didn't cover is how did the city turn to hate Vigilantes and how did the Glades rise and what was Renee's involvement in it?
2: My assumption, again, is that's a season eight piece that they were able to plant the seeds with season seven. And you could argue some of what we've seen in the back half of season seven with the superheroes potentially losing their moral high ground, breaking their own moral code and moving on that potentially plants the seeds for something we get in the beginning of season eight and maybe crisis is where it happens because they have to do something terrible and it does and it destroys star city or something to that effect. And that's part of the reason why vigilantes and superheroes are so looked down upon in star city. I was given this a lot of
0: thought and the fact that they immediately announced the crisis crossover After the last crossover, if I'm Beth Schwartz, I know in my head I have an additional X amount of episodes to get there. Now, maybe, maybe not. But if I'm a betting person, I would have thought that. And she did. She ended up getting him so that they could run all the way through up to crisis. So there are some storylines that she didn't have to rush and tie up with the season seven finale that she has a few more episodes to tie up. Like, the Ninth Circle, that's not over with. I mean, can I ask a question? Who the heck is that other woman that's standing next to and
2: commanding the Ninth Circle? Beatrice. I don't remember where she's from, but they call her Beatrice.
3: Yeah, because later on, there's the need to shut down the relay, and Curtis comes back, and there's tech speak, tech speak, tech speak, and whatever. They finally get to the old Palmer Tech Queen Consolidated building. There's a great fight and such. But Virgil tells Emiko, the Night Circle, what's this blown up right now? There's too much chaos. We did not expect this to become a brother-sister spat. You've gone too far. The people know about us. The DIA is coming. And it seems as though when Emiko was like, I'm the boss, Tough it up, whatever. Virgil seemed to have gone off and called the field office (laughs) and gotten in. Emiko is like maybe the chief of a regional office. Virgil calls the upper management, and Beatrice is part of that. She's powerful enough to actually get Emiko. I watched Firefly, and there's this great scene with Wash, and he's playing with dinosaurs, and he's like, Curse, you're inevitable, but sudden betrayal. It's like, of course, how are we going to redeem Emiko? Have the Night Circle betray her?
2: You still don't redeem her, I would argue. She's just betrayed and gets pissed off at the people that betray her. Yeah. It's not redemption. It's this that she wants to take out the people that betrayed her and ruined her plan. She dies because she fights them, not necessarily because she wants to do anything right. She is not a hero.
0: That's true. I would agree with that, Chris, and that's what I was thinking. Like the second time I watched it, I'm like, hey, is she really redeemed? Now she's fighting with Oliver, but it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, sort of thing. And and that's the two so Oliver's thinking that she's redeemed and he doesn't leave family and she's just fighting because she's mad that she's been betrayed and she's trying to take control of the ninth circle back.
2: So I've been negative on the Black Siren turn to becoming a good guy and things like that. But that is infinitely better well done compared to saying Emiko, snap of a fingers because the Ninth Circle betrays her, she decides to be a good guy. I don't buy that. And I did not like the implication that they were giving there that just because she fought with Oliver, she's a good guy now. And the same implications given on her headstone and things like that. And I'm going, no, she did terrible terrible things she didn't redeem herself she didn't make a choice to do good to make up for it she made a choice to attack the people that ruined her plans that's it it felt very forced to me to get this redemption angle that just didn't play off for me and maybe i'm one of the very smaller group that think that but i was just sitting there going she's a bad person slade's redemption's even better and some could argue that was shaky until they said oh i'm cured of the mirakuru now granted i'm biased i have a slade wilson shaped bias like in my brain, anything comes up and then I'm like, oh, I'm good with this. But like I said, there's too much going on in this one episode. I think you could have potentially pulled off the seeds of an Emiko Redemption had you say split this episode in half, extend the first half into a full episode, and then do the second half as its own full episode. I think that might have helped.
3: Yeah, you're right, Chris. It really isn't because she is ready to kill everyone. That's why Virgil is upset because he does come in it's like if you don't kill him we will and yeah that's right she just turns and she's like i've been betrayed and then she surprised oliver stays and calls her family her dying words are i wanted to be a queen but oliver has a good point she was like him and went down a dark path and was part of that cycle of violence with taking the hurt from their father and becoming murderers and breaking the law so in reality she was a queen
2: well yes (laughs) in reality she was in that regard but i don't know like i said it felt forced to me maybe i'm the only person feeling that way i didn't see a bunch of people online that were talking about the fact that the emiko queen hero turn was forced or felt off most review sites kind of just glossed over it because again there's a ton of stuff jammed in here
3: but we got a cool fight between the two
2: that is true Look, I'm complaining about some things here because they don't make sense. The fights are not anything I'm complaining about. All of the fights were awesome. The fight choreography is always awesome, and it's rampant up a scale or two when James Bamford's involved.
0: I wouldn't expect anything else from a season or series finale from Arrow, although I'm not sure what to expect with the series finale now because it's going to be a different... Sh- you got a lot of foreshadowing. You know, they were talking about this is the last... the team's going to be in the bunker all together, which is true. I don't think Felicity comes back because she stays in the house with Mia.
2: I don't think Curtis comes back again either. I think that was probably a one and done kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Kind of called that earlier in the season. I said he would be coming back for the season finale because that's what they do. If somebody leaves, they usually come back for a cameo at the end, which is what happened. He didn't get a lot of screen time. It was like Combine three scenes and I don't know, maybe five lines all together, But and we get the he's going to ask Nick to marry him. So he's going to get his happy ending. I'm fine with that. It's a great way to end his his showtime. But that leads me to wonder what they're going to do for the series finale. You know, how many cameos are they going to bring back in the series finale? I mean, Slade Wilson would be a great cameo at the end.
2: It just depends on whether they're allowed to play with that character again.
0: Yeah, well, I think he could come back as just the human and not Deathstroke.
2: Perhaps. uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be very interesting. I think this sets up a lot of little cameo appearances for the crossover for uh, for Crisis. I think that's where we're going to see a bunch of this. And my personal belief is the final episode of Arrow is going to be Fallout from Crisis that deals with Oliver Queen being dead, basically. And people kind of gathering to memorialize him and kind of flashback and have positive memories to things that happened before. Yeah, flashbacks. That's just my opinion, though.
3: So to wrap up the fights, SP, did you have a favorite fight moment?
0: I mean, they're all pretty cool. I think the favorite fight moment for me was the server room in real time. Where they were fighting and they tried to you could tell that what bam bam wanted to do he wanted to do one continuous fight the entire time uh one continuous camera angle the entire time i did notice some cuts in there and i think one notable cut is when you have the canary cry going you can see that what he wanted to do was the camera panning left to right to watch the guy hurdle to the back, and they didn't. They did a cut screen, and they showed him going all the way. And the way that they had everybody staged in the server racks, you couldn't really do one contiguous camera pan for everybody just because, well, you got servers in the way. And, okay, aside from that, the action was great. You you saw some pretty ruthlessness going on by Mr. Tiger. Oh, my gosh. And you saw his claws were Completely bloody, and you saw. You know, we talk about Team Arrow not killing anybody. There were deaths in this. You know, you, those Ninth Circle ninjas, or whatever you want to call them, they are dead because you had Glass Tiger or Bronze Glass Tiger, <laughs> little nineties <laughs> rock, eighties nineties rock on the line. You had Bronze Tiger that was just cutting them up, and you had Diggle shooting them, and they were dead. There was no ifs ands or buts about it, but the action was pretty cool because you saw handoffs in the fights between one character and another as they're uh, finishing a fight and then they go, you know, the bad guy that they're fighting is taken care of by somebody else and you follow that other person around. So that's probably my favorite fight. It's not the best choreography that this series has ever seen, but it's certainly one of the best of the season.
3: Chris, do you have a favorite fight moment? I really
2: enjoyed the Emiko and Oliver fight, where like I think it was with a toss, where the camera flips with them. So as they flip someone on their back, the camera flipped with it. I thought it was a cool effect. I'm glad they only did it the one time because it would get nauseating if they did it more than once. I think.
3: And for me, it's simply Mia kicking Zetas off of the wall. You just kick them off, ah, and she'd be looking like, "Yeah, I did that," and then moving on, tying the future with the present. We had, of course, that great scene where Oliver talks about his legacy. He thought his legacy was just saving the city, but he actually thought it was the team. We had that great moment where the team is arm in arm looking at the suits. And Diggle talks about the four pillars of heroism. And Dinah's like, we should do something to make sure we know that we you know, always are going to be there. So there's the tattoo idea.
0: Mark of four
3: yeah the mark of four that's what Oliver calls it, and then I really liked that the when the bunker was being shut down, we had o t a
2: yeah, that was nice. three
0: of them left on the pedestal, the round pedestal in them, and you saw the bunker being put away. You saw the lights on top they were raised, and the monitors going down, and the bank of of lights behind that were lighting up all the costumes was going down and it gave you the impression that this was going to be the last time everybody was in the bunker and and that they were shutting it all down. And I last episode talked about the fact that we know that the Arrow Cave is going to get demolished at some point. And I didn't know if it was going to be this episode or next season. Obviously, it's going to happen next season because it didn't happen this episode and that's just something to look forward to like i said last time the uss enterprise from star trek it is being destroyed again the arrow cave it's going to be destroyed one last time we're going to see it destroyed one last time at least in real time because it could still exist in the future so i don't know what the future team arrow is going to
3: do and chris how convenient does diggle know where to put them
2: yeah, it's it's pretty awful convenient that they've got all these connections to put them basically in a CIA compound, for lack of a better term, where all the retired CIA and Argus agents go to be safe and live quasi off the grid. It it works out nicely, I guess, because plot.
3: Well, it's a safe neighborhood.
2: Well, that's the truth. There's not going to be any problem with crime there, I would think.
3: And of course, Emiko does tell Oliver that she did indeed order the Night Circle to kill him and his family. She did tell him that so that he could protect them.
0: Yeah. That's why they're in hiding for so long. That's why Felicity stays in hiding. And honestly, I don't know the whole ninth circle thing. I I mentioned it before. It's not tied up. You were going to see it either in real time in season eight, or we're going to see it in the future or both. And it's just something that we're going to have to look forward to. But it's a reason that Felicity is in Communicado all these years with Mia for 20 years, wherever they I forget. what It's not Ivy. It, what's the name of the city they're in? Diggle said it, right? You did.
2: I'm just not remembering it.
0: Yeah. So wherever they are, that's why she's there for 20 years she's trying to protect remember Oliver said I want you to do one thing protect Mia protect William and now we have the answer by the way of why that she had distanced herself from William was that she was trying to protect him probably from the ninth circle
3: then we end with what I call the elicity montage
0: that's accurate that cry at the end was that was heartfelt when she was going down on the floor because she knew that was the last time she was going to see Oliver
3: Chris, what did you think of the Olicity montage?
2: If you're someone who was still a big fan of Olicity and whatnot, I'm sure you really loved it. If you're someone like me who's just kind of like, I don't feel like it helps the show all the time, it was sad. And you could tell the actors were selling it hard and you could see and hear the emotion in them. They did a very good job with it. Maybe I'm just a little jaded. Part of me was like, Hey, maybe this means not so much relationship focus in the last 10 episodes of this series.
0: If I am projecting correctly, what I think is going to happen is in the crossover or wherever Oliver goes off. Felicity is going to be around to make the deal with the monitor to let her go to wherever Oliver is. So I think we're going to see Emily Beck Rickards one last time.
2: Either that or they just filmed that now so that they can play it then. So, she'll, she'll appear in some way, shape, or form, even if she is not available to come and do it.
0: Yeah. And we're going to get that that conversation between the monitor. And, well, I mean, maybe they're no, not going to show it on the screen. You know, it depends on how the episode goes, whatever. But I think to cater to Alicity fans, if you don't do that, you're, you're not going to pick up. But uh, you're not going to get any relationship stuff. Although, I don't... I mean... They could have filmed a bunch of cameos for Felicity already, and I don't know how contractually that works because you kind of have to film it within the constraints of the episode that you're doing. So she would have had to do an additional contract basically for season eight if she was doing this, but she could have done some cameos all along, kind of like Stan Lee cameos, you know, real short things, but I don't think that would be doing the character justice, so one thing I noted in this entire week, I think they were trying to surprise fans or they were trying not to catch the wrath of Elicity fans because they did not promote this as Emily Beck records last episode. Unless you were paying attention to the news, you had no idea that there was going to be a parting of the ways between the two.
2: Yeah, that's accurate. I mean. You did not, like S.P. said, you didn't know the way the story sets up certainly makes it seem like she will not be there in the future. But we've seen similar story beats like that before. So I'm sure there's some fans are going, oh, I wonder how they're going to bring her back next season. It's a comic book show. Yeah.
3: One of the things we discussed during the crossover when Oliver made the deal is that he agreed to take part in crisis and that he would die as a result. And the monitor basically confirms this.
0: We don't know exactly what the deal is. We know that there is some sacrifice being made. And we don't know if Oliver's death is the sacrifice. We know that there's some balance. But I don't know if the balance is there's a death or not. You know, kind of like the Speed Force with Barry, right? There had to have been some balance and somebody had to go into the Speed Force or some... Huge event had to occur in order to get Barry out of the speed or whoever was in the speed force, get him out. So I think we're, we're looking at the same thing here and I don't know uh, how they're going to pull it off, how they're going to spin it at the end, but there, there is a deal made with the monitor. I just don't know. if The deal is Oliver's death.
2: So my understanding, based off what I'd seen in this one was that the deal was, he would have to work with the monitor to some extent, be it he might have to go and work with him for a a time of, say, 20 years. I don't know. I'm arbitrarily making something up there. I don't think death is what he was predicting was the cost to work with him because he seemed kind of taken aback when the monitor said, I've seen the future and in it you die. Not necessarily that I don't think he was told in the original deal that he was going to die working with the monitor. He's changed
0: stuff. Maybe Felicity comes in and makes a deal, say... I will trade you Oliver's life for us both having to go to a pocket universe.
2: Yeah, maybe. Give him the good st- the good ending. I mean, the way they're setting this up, they want to give Oliver the heroic sacrifice and farewell. Part of me almost feels like you're cheating us if that's what you do at the end of, oh, he makes this big sacrifice, but really we pushed him off in an alternate universe and he's alive. That, that's
0: this is not making, a sacrifice. Yeah, this is making more sense to me, though, that Felicity knows that Oliver has made a deal and keeps making these deals. You know, we called it during crisis. He had that serene look after he made the deal with the DA with the, uh, or the FBI, right? The, the previous season. So we knew what was happening, at least on this show. And I could see Felicity rolling in and say, look, you did this. After I take care of the kids, I'm going to take care of you. I could totally see that.
3: Do you think next season... It's going to be for Arrow, focusing on Crisis and leading up to the crossover. Because it's ten episodes, it's really easy to bring in guest stars from the other shows and build it up. Because it can't be just a three episode deal. Not with Crisis, it's it's huge, and because we really don't know everything that's going to happen. There's a lot of stuff that could happen. We could actually have a merging of all of them. If you're not familiar with the storyline, it's basically all the multiverses are being destroyed and eventually there's like a merging. It could actually be Supergirl and Batwoman and everybody all together in one universe.
2: I think it would be a very interesting shakeup and it would lead to some uh, very interesting plot threads. If season eight of Arrow, it wasn't him working with the team trying to save Star City again. It's him in the monitor going through the multiverse trying to hold things together as we're leading towards crisis or trying to reach out to other heroes they know they'll see when the crisis begins to say, hey, this is coming. We're going to need your help. And if you're playing with the multiverse, I think it leads to some very interesting stuff. And I think from an actor standpoint, yes, a lot of these people are signed on to come and star. That doesn't necessarily mean that, say, Colton Haynes is showing up as R. Roy Harper. He could be the Roy Harper from Earth-68 or something like that. And how fun would that be for these actors to come in there and play a completely different version of their character and do something a little fresh and different as they rotate through? And it'd be kind of a nice farewell and send-off to Stephen Amell if he's getting to be the central figure in Arrow going across the multiverse. It's like sliders.
0: (laughs) It is. I think they got to wrap up the Ninth Circle. I don't think that that was wrapped up this time around because they left before they blew the building and they're still out there. So I think you got to wrap that up. So I don't think it's going to be a full on March to crisis. I think you have at least a few episodes dealing with the ninth circle.
2: Maybe you let the team deal with that while Oliver is doing the stuff across the multiverse. And remember the arrow cave
0: needs to be destroyed somehow. Now, doesn't necessarily need to be in the Ninth Circle, but somebody's going to bomb that place. Fair point.
3: Because Crisis is a way to bring in Diggle as the Green Lantern. That would be
0: amazing. I hope that somebody is actually, you know, spinning that with CW right now. Because, yeah, that would be good. I don't know... (sighs) See, this is the issue. If you bring... Well, they've got Batwoman. I was going to say, if they bring in a main DC character into the CW-verse, then you run the risk of saying, well, no, the character's popular now. You can't use him.
2: But the better question is, can they play with a character who has a potential movie coming out? Remember, they basically shoved Superman off to the side so they couldn't use that anymore because Superman has movies. Out of the characters we see... The only ones that are really active that potentially have movies are The Flash, because you can't really do The Flash without The Flash. They've pushed Slade Wilson off the show. They're setting it up so The Green Arrow is not going to have a show anymore, who's one of the bigger Justice League members. They haven't mentioned anything other than just some brief asides to The Green Lantern Corps, things like that. I think they're setting it up very much so that, and I don't mean this to sound derogatory, but the TV shows are your B-tier stuff, not the A-team heavy-hitter Justice League folks.
0: Yeah, that's my concern. However, you do have a DCEU, for the lack of a better term. I don't know what to call it. It's their movie universe. You have a shakeup in that right now because you've lost both Superman and Batman. You've lost not the characters, but you've lost the actors. So now you have a chance to reset a little bit. The only problem with that is you have a great Wonder Woman and a great Aquaman. I don't know. And, And Flash is part of that, too but he hasn't had his own movie. I would say that Ezra Miller has done okay on screen, but I don't know if he can carry an, an entire movie yet. But who knows? I mean, we we haven't seen it. So, to answer your question, I don't know if they're going to let CW use John as the Green Lantern or not. I would like Diggle as the... I love Green Lantern. Give me a Green Lantern. Because the only Green Lantern that they've given us, everybody else hates. I love it. But everybody else hates. Give me something that I can actually be proud of on screen.
3: That is very true. Chris, is there anything else you would like to discuss about the episode? Uh,
2: Steven, if you were watching the video, had some thoughts saying how this may have worked as a finale, may not. I felt like, personally, for me, if we looked at this as a series finale, It worked up until the moment the monitor appeared because you could have had this nice moment where things are wrapped up. You end the series on a positive note. I feel like the monitor's arrival is something if you wrapped Arrow this season, you could toss in like the end credits of an episode of Flash or something like that next season to then bring him back in for the crossover. So I'm kind of sitting here and I, I start to think like Steven did in our chat room as we recorded it live that I don't know that season eight was originally planned. I think they might have been targeting season seven to be the end of things. And then they kind of said, oh, wait, we want to do this whole crisis thing, but we need Steven Amell. How do we do that? We make it worth his, mo- his time and his money by doing a half season of Arrow so that we can have him around to finish his character arc. So I, I kind of feel as I watched this that originally it was intended to be a series finale. Once that wasn't the case and they got more, they kind of stuffed more into it to fit it as a season finale and be a bridge into season eight. That's not to say it's a bad thing, but I think it might explain why this episode feels so jam-packed full of stuff.
0: I'll give Beth Schwartz and the writers a lot of credit because I think they did a lot with what they had. Remember, this was a broken show. It really was. And they made it on broken. It's not the best show on TV, but it was the best arrow that we've had in years. And I really sincerely thank the team for putting it together, for actually giving us something that's entertaining and and we're not griping about I mean, this is little stuff compared to the big stuff that we were griping about a a few seasons ago. So I'm all for that. And as for whether they knew that this was a series or season finale, I could go both ways. I'm not convinced either way. I'm sure Beth will come out at some point because she's very prolific with her interviews and on social media stuff. I have no qualms that we will eventually learn what sort of voodoo that she had to do mid-season in order to either course correct... Or to solidify her plans going forward. So, we'll just see how that all goes out. Now, Michelle, I'm just guessing, and then you're going to ask me, SP, is there anything else that you want to say about this episode?
3: That is correct.
0: Okay. I do have one thing to say, and that is the handshake between Diggle and Bronze Tiger and the constant going back and forth about JJ and Zoe and Connor. So... I don't know who's going to be the father here between Connor and J.J., but I think we've got our answer of who Connor really is in the future and who J.J. is in the future.
3: Oh, that's an interesting thought. You're thinking we, we assume Diggle lived to be the father.
0: Yeah, we don't know at this point. It was very interesting to me that Bronze Tiger could be the father between J.J. and Connor. Interesting. I like that twist. I like it a lot. It also means that Diggle might not be the green lantern, but at this point, you just it, six one, half knows the other. I don't know which one's going to happen.
3: Well, I think this was a good season finale. You're right. Beth did a lot of good course correction, a lot of fixing over the past two seasons. I really did enjoy the the season overall. We're just kind of nick picking, but really I, I thought it was great. I loved the action. I thought this was a. Good send off for Felicity. We got to see her part ways with Oliver and we got to see her. I love like after that fight when Renee and William were rescued, she was all like, do you need something to drink? Do you need this? And Mia's is like, no. And we don't need any snacks either. Mom. Snacks either.
0: <laughs> totally a mom thing. And Felicity mentions her mom juice as well. A.K.A. Wine. That's true, too. Yeah.
3: I thought it was a really good moment when, in the future, she is there at Oliver's grave, and she actually says to me, and William, I love you. I now realize that you two can not only protect yourselves, but you can protect each other, and I feel good about leaving. I really thought that was a good send-off for her.
0: Do you think she should have told them what she was doing?
3: Well, when she said goodbye, she was like i'm going on a different journey i have waited a very long time to see him again
2: yeah the implication is that she was done there i mean perhaps the kids didn't read it as we'll never see our mother again but that was i think she intended it was this is goodbye right and i get that
0: but i think she could have been more explicit with them and just said i am going to see your father and uh, so long farewell I guess they could have taken that wrong way because they could have think, oh, you're going to die. And I don't think, okay, so I, I understand why she, but I guess I'm nitpicking there.
2: I think part of that was to also play with audience expectations to leave us further on the edge of our seat of, oh, are we going to see Oliver in the future? And if I recall correctly, there was an interview or something that said we would see Oliver in the future. And we sort of did with the headstone. So, yeah, we saw Oliver of the future, potentially.
3: So just a quick roundup, in your favorite seasons of all of Arrow, I mean, I'm not asking for, like, a hard one to, like, this is my favorite or whatever, like, where on the spectrum does it fit for you? Chris?
2: Ooh, it's probably in the middle somewhere. It's no season two, but it's also not a season, what was it, five that I hated? Four. Four, that's it, yeah.
3: SP?
0: Three. I'll take one, two, in either order, and then this one.
3: Yeah, I would have to admit, we have seven seasons, this is yeah, I think my third, I didn't mind five too much but yeah, I did not like four three wasn't all that great, but yeah this was a really good season
0: This is not the only season finale that could have served as a series finale, remember, Oliver and Felicity did drive off into the sunset
3: That is true That is very true Well, our discussion on Arrow season seven has come to an end, but that means we get to talk about our other favorite show, Legends of Tomorrow. Now we will not be back next week because SP has to do dad things and our reporter, Chris, has found someone to put up with him for a very long time. He's getting married. Congratulations. Thank you. So we will return with Legends of Tomorrow episode seven of season four. Hell No, Dolly. It originally aired December 3rd, 2018. Sarah tries to help Rory and Ava to get along, while a new magical creature attacks the legends. Meanwhile, Constantine is forced to confront his tragic past, and Mona has a crush on someone. Directed by April Mullen, and it was written by Grain Godfrey and Morgan Faust. We don't have any
0: news today, but I just want to bring up that as I was watching this on the CW app, and I think on my DVR I actually saw the teaser trailer whatever for Batwoman, where they have Batwoman with the big cape and the um, light, the bat signal in the background and stuff, and that is something to look forward to in the future. I'm not really sure what the Starling Tribune is going to be up to in the future. We're definitely going to do season eight, and we're definitely going to follow Legends of Tomorrow here for a while, but... Uh, If you have any suggestions for the podcast and what you want to see us cover in the future, given the fact that we don't know anything about the Batwoman show, you know how it's really going to go or anything like that, uh, just let us know. We'll keep it into consideration. Ultimately, we will reserve the right to decide whatever we want to do. But I just wanted to have that out there for our listeners for the future that uh, we are actively thinking about our future with the podcast.
2: That all being said, thank you so much to everyone who did join us for the live show today over on Geeks.Live. We had a pretty active chat room, so thank you everyone who was over in the chat on Geeks.Live. But also, thank you to everyone who catches the audio replay by going to StarlingTribune.com and downloading the audio podcast. Don't forget, if you missed the show live, you can always find a replay of the video over on the official GunnaGeek YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Geek.
0: You can also listen to our show on your Amazon smart device. We actually have a skill there, and if you enable it, you have full player control. We also have a Discord server, which has been very active the last week with a bunch of stuff going on. Okay, so we had Endgame. We had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. come on. We had the Game of Thrones penultimate episode, which shocked everybody. I know Michelle's kind of still reeling from that. Plus, we have this going on with the season finale for Arrow, and then all the other DC shows are coming up. So a lot of activity over on the Discord server. You can find that at guineageek.com slash Discord. And remember, you can always join us live as we record in our chat room. Go to www.geeks.live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern and 4.30 p.m. Pacific. On most Thursdays this week, we did it early so that Chris could feel a little bit less encumbered as he goes off to get married. Congratulations, Chris. Why, thank you, sir.
3: We would love to hear from you. We're the Starly Tribune on Facebook and Instagram, at Starly Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer.
0: Hashtag, you have saved this city.
3: At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag, raw horsepower. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag like father, like daughter. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune.
1: You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at Incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.